I'm Rebecca Garrett-Pace. I'm Mitchell Boone, and you're listening to The Day After Sunday. A brief but nerdy conversation about yesterday's worship at White Rock United Methodist Church. We talk about what caught our attention, stories we forgot to tell, and ways that we saw the Holy Spirit moving among us. Good morning, friends. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Mitchell. Why, good morning. I feel like I should say, and I'm Phil Dickey. <laughs> just to throw, throw the yeah 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 we should we should remake the intro now that you're going to be like a, a staple of our a staple totally also just, i would love to remake it because that was before mitchell understood how to use the microphones so we were <laughs> we were facing the microphones the wrong direction when we recorded that little intro <laughs> why have these mics working yeah they're so soft i thought people told me they were going to be great yeah we have them backwards it's all right it's a learning process it's fine it is totally a learning process thank and goodness we ma- started that yeah now we're masters thank goodness we started that before the pandemic that was one less thing we had to conquer very true that's good mm-hmm. yeah well how are y'all today tired i am too kids oh my <laughs> gosh over it so my my oldest one has been having nightmares Aww. about and- well, this morning she told me it was about aliens and snakes, which she oh, always no. wants to watch aliens and snake videos, which correlation. Yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's scary stuff, man. Totally. It, yeah. And I don't know if that's really what she was dreaming about, but that's what she said it was this morning. So yeah. I took her back to bed, then fell asleep in her bed for three hours, Aww. which children's beds are not comfortable. No, they're not comfortable. Which makes me feel bad that that's what they're sleeping in, but it's fine. It's yeah. fine. Everything's fine. Well, yeah. I, hey, luckily there's coffee in. What's your mug well, today? <laughs> Explain so, it for the people who are just listening. Just listening. So about, I think probably five or six years ago, Dexter and Maggie for Christmas, like took a Facebook p- picture and then like essentially stenciled it onto a coffee mug as an outline. So, so it's basically, it's, it's supposed to be me. Yeah. You can, oh. I, I should pull my dreads over to the side here. Then you can better see like the. I like it. The correlation. Yeah, so Jesse and I both have our, our mugs here. It's, it's pretty fun. I'm drinking out of my favorite mug in the office. It, Rebecca informed me that was her mug. Yes, it's Big Bend. It's a Big Bend It's made mug. out of recycled glass. I love it. So, yeah. It's made out of recycled glass. That's fun. It is. Mm-hmm. Ever been to Big Bend, Phil? I have not. Oh. I know. It's on my, it's on my list. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It yes. is. Great. So, it's like a 10-hour like drive, though, right? I'm just yeah. yeah. It's so, it's all day at least. Did you drive to Colorado? Don't... I know. Yeah, too well played. Okay. <laughs> Let's move into worship. In, yes. Into worship. So uh, yesterday, almost said last week. Oh, gosh, just, what is time? It's technically. Um, no, <laughs> Sunday's the beginning of the week. We can get into that debate later. <laughs> is Sunday the first day of the week or is Monday the first day of the week? Um. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so yesterday we were week two in our series, That's Not in the Bible, um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the music yesterday, um, because <laughs> I kind of, I always laugh when we sing All Things Bright and Beautiful. I love this hymn so much. It's easy to sing. The The imagery is just beautiful. It kind of grounds us into creation, noticing noticing God's creation. Um, but I have to laugh because it was definitely not written by anybody who lived in the southern part of uh, the world because it says, the cold wind in the winter, the pleasant summer sun. And I've always wanted to rewrite that. Like if a Texan wrote that, it would say the tepid wind in the winter <laughs> and the unbearable summer sun. 
Seriously. Yeah, whoever wrote that was in like Vermont or something. Yeah, or Great Britain. Like right, probably. Rainy. Yeah, they they needed the summer sun. But anyway, that just kind of makes me laugh. But yeah, so then um, the hymn, the middle hymn, Phil, you commented that that was really mm. meaningful for you. And it's one of my favorites to sing. The way that we prayed it, I really kind of broke it out. Um, I don't know. Did y'all notice that each of the petitions brought out one of the four words in that um Right. In that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. Oh, yeah. I did not catch that. Well yeah. done. So each of the four petitions brought out goodness and then love and then light and then life. Um, so yeah. kind of walking us through that hymn um, that is – people think that it was written by Desmond Tutu. I don't think that it was actually, but I think he he selected those, those words that had inspired. just kind of become part of – yeah, inspired by. Hmm. Um. But yeah, I mean, such a, I think such a powerful, such a powerful thing. And I've been drawing a lot of parallels recently between the anti-apartheid movement and what we're going on, you know, what's going on in our country right now. So yeah. I wanted to lift that song up. I love the the faith we sing. I think it just has mm-hmm. so many fun hymns in it that, not that the original hymnal is not great, but I don't know, just it's a good change of pace. And I feel like it has some good modern, modern mm-hmm. stuff to it that I really enjoy. Man, speaking of the original hymnal, one of the things that like got just left left behind was the the new hymnal in the midst of our denominational tension. And obviously, I don't know where we're at, Rebecca, with that, but I was really looking forward to like an updated hymnal that that could have like incorporated some of the faith we sing music and some of uh, more contemplative songs that I think have become really popular over the past like decade or so. Like, where are we with a new hymnal? You know, there is a committee formed. Um, I I know some of the people that are on there, and I think they're they're wonderful human beings. They're wonderful musicians. Um, but I actually don't know. I I don't know what the the latest is. Not only because of denominational turmoil, but then the pandemic. You know. Totally. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure where funding is i'm not sure where that committee is i know that they were spread out all over the world so as far as not being able to to travel they were already doing everything over zoom and right. google hangouts and meetups and stuff like that but so. it was poised to be like the most global mm-hmm. project that the church has undertaken and yeah. probably ever right like yeah about i would imagine opportunity to have like you know these varying voices and like um, songs of like of different parts of the world incorporated would have just been really cool. Hopefully they can pull it off, get it off the ground. And also, I mean, Phil, you'll appreciate this. It it was going to be the first hymnal in our denomination um, and, and in a lot of denominations that are kind of like us. So the evangelical Lutheran church, the Presbyterian, that was at least potentially going to be based as an online worship tool. So there would be printed hymnals, but there would be very robust um, virtual resources and, you know, uh, slides that can be formatted in all kinds Mm. of ways and stuff like that. So it was going to be the most comprehensive, useful worship tool um, that the Methodist Church certainly has seen. So close. They almost got it there off the ground before (laughs) something like this hit, right? right? But I mean, I think it speaks to like what we need as a church right now. And that's like um, we need... Uh, all of our worship resources to be really adaptive like Mm -hmm. we don't especially now if you think about it like hymnals are kind of like 
we may have to like pull those when we come back because there's one more thing we'll have to disinfect, you know, when yep. we start singing in, you know, three years. Like, <laughs> oh I gosh. Think, you know, <laughs> I but, but I mean, like, think about how, um, how adaptive, like, we need our worship resources to be. Um, and it's one of the things that I just appreciate about White Rock is the duality of screens and hymnals. Yes. Rebecca, you know, often encourages folks to, to sing out of the hymnal if they prefer, or they can look yep. at the screen. Like there's no, um, there's no judgment on either side. I think like, exactly. I, I never pick up a hymnal mainly because they're underneath my knees. Right. So, they're kind of awkward for the first row. So I don't to try to like yeah. bend down there and pick one up. Yeah. But, um, but the truth is like, I think that there's just this fluidity with a uh, singing that exists in, and when we start deconstructing and reconstructing worship in a specific way. And I just, I was thinking about the hymnal when you were talking about that and how like awesome it would be to have a digital hymnal that is like totally uh, pliable to whatever situation mm. we're in. And, and we clearly um, need that. Yeah, Hopefully totally. Can do it. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you've made an online bulletin now, so mm -hmm. there's no reason to think that whenever we come back in person, there's not the potential for an online bulletin so that everybody, instead of having to hold paper, mm -hmm. everyone has, has their phone in front of them. So, yeah. mm -hmm. And there's an interesting conversation to be had about, um, like, music reading. I, I tell my choir a lot, and I tell anybody that I'm singing with a lot, because uh, people think, oh, I, I don't read music. But I think it's because it's been made to feel so intimidating. I think most people read music more than they think they do. Because if you can look at a page, and, and a few pointers will help, you know, to know where your eye needs to follow. But um, if you can look at a page and say, that note goes up, that note goes down, that's, that's music reading, right? And it's helpful to you to have, because that's what sheet music is. It's not supposed to be the music. It's supposed to be a guide. And so how do we take that one step further? And if we continue to not use hymnals or be totally online, how do we still encourage music reading in, in homes? Mitchell, as you said, this is the first time that the Methodist church has been in people's homes. In a long in time. A long time. I mean, you know, that's where we got our roots, right? We're, right. But know, nobody has a family hymnal now, right? I mean, I know a few no, people. No, you're but, right. No one has a family hymnal. Uh, yeah. No one, you know, I bet... I don't know what percentage of folks in the home play the piano, but right. like that was one of the things that was really passed down from generation to generation, a understanding or use of a musical instrument, most often a piano or a guitar, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, there's no, I don't know if there's like a family Bible in homes anymore. Like right, you don't right. have one. We all have our own Bibles in the home, but we don't have like the family Bible that we open up. And um, it really just gets me excited to think that the church could take up residence obviously invited uh in the in the living rooms and kitchens of of people's homes which um which i think is a return to to what it means to to really grow as a congregation uh, both spiritually and with other folks because um there's a personal uh responsibility and um i want to say like a a personal connection to the church that you just can't replicate in a church building. So I, I think it's cool. It's a neat, it's a neat opportunity for us to mm -hmm. continue to try to thrive in, in this way. Yeah. And yesterday's hymnody before we move on from this and get into your sermon, which is a lot, uh, a lot of good stuff there. It's a lot. Yes, yesterday's <laughs> hymnody was a great example, I think of, 
of how and why we need new worship resources because of the four pieces of music, three hymns and one offertory, they came from four different sources. Hmm. <laughs> I just realized oh, that. Yeah. We had one from the 1989 hymnal, one from the faith we sing, one from worship and song, and one from a private collection of of new hymns, of social justice hymns. Those are Mark Miller. So, yeah. <laughs> That's man. This is this is my ignorance. What is worship and song? So worship and worship and song is the um it's the second supplement it came after the faith we sing um so it was an additional both of those were projects when the united methodist church was not in a place to afford to do a new hymnal but they wanted to add music um to our repertoire so worship and song i forget when it was published but um early 2000s yeah something like that Hmm. so it has more of the tizay it has more of the global Global. iona yeah yeah um, that's cool yeah look at that learning something new yeah Love it that. is not a common supplement in the pews it's not. right like no, it's not. faith we sing you see. Mm-hmm. so if you're not if you're not familiar with what what we're actually talking about like, like what is happening with all this music thing right the, the denomination puts out a hymnal it's pretty common for mainline churches to adopt a hymnal that shows up in every church in fact like the red or blue hymnals that you see um, in Methodist churches, like those are also in our chapels uh, and college campuses. Like it's like the universal thing, and mm-hmm. and it is mostly hymns, but there's also some psalms, and and there's also They're all of our spoken prayers, right? Like the creeds, like communion yep. liturgies, and baptism liturgies. Um, so we put those out as a denomination every. Um, so often can afford them and um and then we have supplements that also sit in pews like faith we sing is a dark almost i think it's black and you'll see it normally tucked behind a hymnal Uh, worship and song is one that is not going to often be in the pews but it's another supplement so just to kind of catch all up to speed it's kind of some insider baseball talk there i guess a little bit but um so yeah it's that's incredible though i wonder how many churches have four unique sources of music on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine very many. That's, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. That's what this podcast is all about, right? All the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, totally. That's good. Um, well, so Mitchell, you, you brought a lot in your sermon. I think I took, I always take notes on my phone. Um, and I think I took more this week than I have in, in several weeks for sure. Um, just like bringing out, you know, Augustine, Gandhi, bringing out several different scriptures, you kind of wove them together. I, I didn't write down all of them. I wasn't able to keep up with you, but Romans three, Luke 18, John eight, Gandhi, Augustine, like, whoo, you were, you were rolling fast. Yeah, we were moving quick to get through all those sources because yeah. I also didn't want to be a 35-minute sermon. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, when we – it is hard to just use one piece of scripture to to kind of dismantle these phrases. You really have mm-hmm. to take a holistic approach because often these phrases are are constructed out of, like, a poor reading of one verse, right? And or a we take a different reading, I would say, mm-hmm. of an incomplete reading. An incomplete reading. We would, yeah, argue an incomplete reading. Yeah. Um, so you kind of have to tackle these big, um, weighty phrases with uh, with as much of um, the narrative of scripture as possible. Which really, you know, this one in particular, um, I think, is 
love this sinner, hate the sin is best dismantled by Jesus and, and Paul. Um, you know, you could probably find some stuff in the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament that could help dismantle it. But it is clearly a phrase that is incomplete, I think, inconsistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, has done just so much harm in the world. Have y'all ever heard it used outside of the debate uh, regarding LGBTQ folk? I mean, I'm sure I have, but it has kind of become synonymous. Like it's it's a little catchphrase, I think, that right. people who uh, people who are very well-meaning. And again, I'll circle back to this is one of the things I appreciate about um, the book Half Truths that we're sort of loosely basing this mm-hmm. series on is it does not call anybody evil for using these phrases. It, you know, it acknowledges people are very well-meaning. They don't mean harm. You know, we hope. We hope that everybody's kind of using them because they kind of don't know what else to say. <clears throat> but it's sort of become a shorthand for this issue and not much else. You're right. Yeah, I think that this is probably, Mitchell, it seems like this is the one that you're most fired up about. Or maybe not most fired up about, but you were very like, you have a lot of passion behind this one. And obviously, because you are just aware of so much harm that has been done, and I thought that you approached that very well in your sermon. But I think this is one that has been hard for me because not only have I heard it, but I think I've, I've, I'm almost positive I've used it at some point in the past, mm-hmm. right? And that's because that's the kind of the tradition I came out of. It was way more represented um, with that mentality. But to me, it, it made like more logical sense to me. And I, you know, I think that I could wrap my head around this idea of back in the day when I would use it, I think I viewed the world way more kind of in binaries anyway, you know, mm-hmm. so I could, I could separate and say like, well, I, we're called to love everybody, but also there are things that um, are despicable or that like um, are worthy of our, if not hate, at least righteous anger, right? And so that was kind of how I would logically make sense of it in my head. And I didn't really say a lot in the Pastor's Bible study because there was a lot of people who had a lot of energy around this well in your Pastor's Bible study. But I think when you finally brought up this idea of even like, like white supremacy, you know, like I want to be able to look at somebody and say, I don't believe anybody is evil because I, don't, I, I believe too much in the image of God present in all people. But there are a lot of people that do really evil acts. And I can look at them and say, I still am called to love that person, even though it's really hard for me to, um, regardless of the fact that I very much disagree with. And I want to say probably even hate what they represent, and what they're doing. Um, the problem is, and I think you mentioned it in your sermon is to say that we, to love the sinner, but hate the sin is to define somebody, I think by their sin. And I think that's where it becomes very problematic. I agree. Yeah. It's interesting too. I mean, Mitchell, you, you just really kind of simplified it for us and said, it's, it's kind of unnecessary, Mm -hmm. you know, just even if we, which we should, and you did, you know, apologize for the harm it's done on a Mm -hmm. very, very basic level. We kind of just don't need the phrase. Right. Because all we need to say is love your neighbor. And, right. you know, it's it's almost very freeing. Like, it's overcomplicated. It doesn't, you don't need it. Let it go. Yeah, yeah totally. You don't, you don't need it. Um, loving thy neighbor isn't um, adopting all of their behavior. We and and love, loving your neighbor is hard enough. Like, I mean, if you totally. spend your whole life trying to love your neighbor, that will take up your time. <laughs> you won't have time to focus on the speck in their eye because you'll be too busy just loving them and learning to love yourself and yeah if you want to occupy your time pay attention to the log in your own eye and love your neighbor and if you can do that for your entire life you will uh you will have more than enough uh to 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 worry about and and to do and you know i think often the phrase is is used um 
as a Trojan horse into uh, agendas and mm-hmm. um, and trying to uh, not sound, uh, you know, like a like a, bigoted, a bigoted. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying everyone who uses the phrase is bigoted, sure, but I do think that like the phrase has been adopted as a way to like try to soften um, people's um, opinions around specifically around the queer community. And so I just think that we need to just um, retire the phrase and, and, and move on because it, it just, it's not particularly theologically astute and it's not particularly helpful in, uh, in what we're called to do as Christians. I, there was a helpful comment too, which is not the direction your sermon went, but it was really neat as a comment in the Facebook feed that said, you know, I love the next sentence, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And so part of the journey, at least for me, and I think a lot of people is if you, if, if I, I'll just use the I language, if I'm quick to pass judgment on somebody, especially as an Enneagram one, it's usually because there's a lot of self-hatred going on in there. And so not only is love your neighbor a full-time job for the rest of my life, love your neighbor as yourself, learning to see the image of God in myself. Mm -hmm. And, and therefore, you know, if I don't hate myself, it's much easier to, to love my neighbor in all that they are. Does that make sense? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really good comment that somebody made. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes into the loop that I think we're invited into this kind of cyclical nature of receiving grace and extending grace too. Like if we can receive grace, we can extend it. But if we're, if we, you rarely do we extend grace without first understanding what it is, right? Like mm-hmm. I think we have to know it personally, if we're really going to be able to extend it out. Um, otherwise we're just kind of parroting what we're supposed to say, uh, but we're not learning to actually do the work of forgiveness or, or, um, grace extension, whatever we want to call it. Um, and I think like that is the challenge with these, some of these phrases is it's just an immediate dam in that like flow that we're invited into as disciples of Jesus Christ. Like it just stops the conversation. It makes people feel and all of these phrases really do it. Um, it just kind of stops the conversation down. And, and I think that we often say them because we're trying to be helpful. And like I said in my sermon, we're either trying to be helpful and we're doing unintentional harm, which is still harm, by the way. It doesn't really matter the intent, you know, but um, or we are anxious about, um, you know, what we should yeah. say. We're, we're grasping at something. And yeah. I know, like, I, I say unintentional harm i saw you shaking out like uh like i would say like intent matters a great deal but but at the end of the day wesley doesn't say like uh do no uh intentional harm it's just do no harm and so that puts the burden on us to be really careful about what we do if that's the first rule wesley had three worlds do no harm do good stay in love with god if we are to do no harm then we have if that's the first rule uh, we have to be really vigilant about our words and our actions. And like, we don't, I don't think we should be let off the hook if we're doing unintended harm either. Cause as we want, yeah. as we're being reminded, silence right. is violence. Right. And so um, we may not intend harm, but so much of what's happening in the world right now is, uh, is uh, white folks uh, perpetuating unintentional harm, maybe. Uh, to communities of color and intentional harm, obviously. But I think like for us, you know, more progressives who like to like, you know, 
uh, black out our social media feeds, like we also have to realize we've done a lot of unintentional harm. Actually, that's a perfect example. I don't know if y'all followed that whole like uh, blackout Tuesday, but mm-hmm. well-meaning folks ended up causing harm and confusion because right, they, they, were using they tagged it. Matter. Yeah. And that way the Black Lives Guilty. Matter feed. God, I'm yeah. terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. So, I mean, and that's why I think intent does matter. I mean, I think yeah. that the God who sees the heart, you know, if, if we're talking about grace and if we're talking about oh, yeah. a, a non-retributive God, then intent absolutely matters because I know people, I actually, I mean, I just want to add, you know, I, you know where I stand on this. I'm, I'm totally in agreement, but I just want to add the, um, the nuance that folks that I've heard use this phrase more often than not do not mean harm. Um, sure. They are, they are trying actually to be more loving than their tradition taught them to be. They're actually, they're actually trying to break down some walls. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, some friends in particular that grew up saying LGBT folks will, will burn in hell and love the sinner, hate the sin is a huge step towards grace for them. I, yeah, totally. I'm not saying it's, it, yes, there, and this gets into the stuff that I left on the threshing, uh, floor, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, it's complicated. Uh, it's complicated. I would say to, to, and, and I am not, so I don't want to speak on behalf of, uh, all queer folk. Uh, but some of the conversations I've had with LGBTQ folks is um, is that it does they would actually rather know exactly how someone feels about them than uh, be lulled into a faith community that seems welcoming at the beginning, and then three years later they find out that no, actually uh, they're trying to be nice to me, but deep down they don't want to invite me into leadership or celebrate our engagement or xyz right and so i think that um there is a tricky thing that happens when we begin looking at these phrases is that they can actually do more harm when they are applied um with in blanket statements right and and this really is a phrase that i think gets uttered the most without much thought. I think, I think the rest are, we're trying to wrestle with a theological position. I think here we're really just trying to mask our, um, our uh, homophobic tendencies, I'll okay. say. And um, so I just, I think it's really complicated. I agree intent and I, you know, it's the difference between, you know, our more conservative brothers and sisters uh, in the denomination using this phrase the same as the Westboro Baptist Church? No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do not think that we should equate those two um, because I'm not sure that all sin is equal. But I do think that, that, that one is, um, is dangerous, right? Uh, both are dangerous. One is clearly dangerous and one is dangerous in disguise. And, and I think we have to like try to figure out. Wolf in sheep's clothing? unintentionally maybe, maybe that's a little harsh still yeah. i think like yeah. we get to a place where we've got a really um uh it's complicated i guess is what i'll say but i don't think that all sins equal either which was going to be a tangent in my sermon that i i left out you didn't have time for yeah yeah well and just to, have time to talk about it but to to wrap it up to you know it, no matter no matter what your experience has been, I think it was such a beautiful thing for so many people to hear when you said, you know, God is not mad at you. God doesn't hate part of you and love the other part of you. I mean, that is just so freeing in so many ways to hear that. 
Yeah. I think I need to hear it. I mean, I need to hear it too. Bill talks about the kind of binary that's easy to buy into. I just mm. don't think the binary um, God that we've been led to believe in really exists. I don't, I don't think like God hates part of us. And I mean, I think God's disappointed in, in how broken this all is and how much we still have left to do. I think there can be sadness in, in, in our sin. And I think totally be, sadness, disappointment, you know, but, uh, but hate is just yeah. a, and we use it. I mean, we use it. We, we say, you know, we, or we, we imply it. And I just, that's not the God I read about. Yeah. Or experience, right? Or definitely experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do have vengeful, wrathful God. Um, but if we take a narrative approach to our scriptures, it, it becomes a little more clear what's happening. And, I think that's also important. So I know we're we're running out of time, but I really appreciated that you at least kind of like did that. You gave a, a nod to this idea of sin in your sermon too, and that you know you get criticized for not speaking it so often or whatever. But uh, it made me think and go back and um, I don't know if y'all read Barbara Brown Taylor's Speaking of Sin. Um, I love and, her as an author though, but I've never read that book. Oh, and it's like a small one too, so it's a phenomenal read. Um, but it's just a really good kind of like. I don't want to say reclaiming of the word sin, but like just a a word that maybe we shouldn't give up on. And then if you've read Jonathan Merritt's um, Learning to Speak God from Scratch, he has a chapter on sin as well that I think is really good too. So um, I think there's... Do what? Show notes. Show notes. Show notes for sure. Yeah, I think they're just, they're good resources. And I think that you're right. We we have to talk about it because obviously there's a prevalence of it, right? But um, it doesn't mean it has to be our only focus or our main focus by any means. Definitely. Well, friends, next week it is God won't give you more than you can handle. Thanks be to God. Next week is God helps those who help themselves. Oh, God helps those who help themselves. Then it's God won't give you any more than you can handle. God helps those who help themselves. I'm not even wearing boots, but I'm picking myself up by him. (laughs) Oh, I cannot wait. This is like my, I like this soapbox. Oh, dear. All right, friends. Well, I'll be out this coming Sunday, so you'll see me recorded on the hymns that I recorded before. So Yeah. And next week, Phil and I? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. if you want to add a third voice. I'm going to yeah. try to add Victoria, too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. We'll see you next week, then. Take care. Bye, y'all. You're listening to a podcast recorded at White Rock United Methodist Church in the heart of East Dallas. For more information, you can find us at wrumc.org. Make sure you stay subscribed to this channel to stay up to date with all of our content.